Hit Radio 100. My name is Radian Carter, and a good afternoon to you. Hanging out with you all throughout today, and special guest in studio with Independent Guahan, Michael Luhan Bavakwa is here, and he's going to be answering all of your questions, anything that you have about the decolonization conversation, anything you want to know, how you can get involved, all of that can be answered right now. And on the line right now, we got one more caller. Hit Radio 100. My name is Raiden Carter. This is Michael Luhan Bavakwa. Uh, do you have? Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, and I guess your question. Hey, my uh, my name is uh, Benny Anderson. Hey, how for and, day, uh, Benny? How for day? Uh, one question. Hi. Uh, one question I had was, um, what could uh, people out here, uh, like uh, Chamorros out here, living out in the states, what can they do to help the cause, help the message with uh, decolonization? Hey, wow. Gov bonito and on a finison. Hey, Sidus Masi, that's a really good question. And so, um, so there's a lot of different things that can be done. But I think um, after, you know, I've spent, uh, uh, I spent a few years living in the States, especially for grad school. And I was connected to some of the Guam clubs in San Diego out there, like the Sons and Daughters of Guam Club. And one thing that I saw is that there's already a desire for community with Chamorros out there. One thing that's missing, though, is that a lot of times it's people talking about Guam, you know, when they lived there before, when they grew up there, but they're not talking about Guam today. So they're not interested in what's happening in the home islands right now. You know, they're not trying to keep up to date necessarily with what's going on in the Marianas. And so one thing that could easily be done is, you know, take the Chamorro group social network that's out there right now and then just work to make part of it so that it's it's not just about remembering home, but it's also about feeling obligated. What is it that those what is it that those that are out in the Bay Area that are on the East Coast that are in San Diego in Texas, what is it that they can do to to, to help? You know, and it can be it can be reciprocal. It can be tensuli. I mean, um, you know, um, Benny, as you know. You know, one of the things that I'm doing right now is uh, offering, you know, online free Chamorro classes every weekend. And the majority of the students, and and Hugo and so one of the things, though, is that what I like is that the students who are out in the States, by taking those classes, they also feel like they need to connect back home. And so how can you channel that into something to help with uh, with the issues that are going on back home? And one thing that um so one thing that people always bring up, you know, is the issue of raising the awareness in the states about these sorts of issues. Now, it is difficult because the Chamorro population in the states is it's large, it's larger than the population in the Marianas, but it's still relatively small compared to a lot of other ethnic groups. And so when you're talking about, like, lobbying, you know, you, Chamorros don't necessarily mm-hmm. have those numbers to, like, lobby. But there are things that can be done. So Chamorros that are in the States, and we see them doing it already, is, uh, like, if you look at a lot of different social movement groups or community organizations, if there's a Chamorro that's a part of them, then, the Chamorro, then those Chamorros are pushing for more awareness about Pacific Islander issues or more awareness about Guam issues. So that's that's a good start. It's that there's already people that are doing these sorts of things. But I think um, the main thing is that people just need to find a way to reconnect home. Because one thing that even for me personally, 
that this pandemic has shown me because is that um is that we can use the technology that is out there today to really over overcome the distances that in the past we thought were insurmountable right a lot of times people used to think that the diaspora goes one way you know you leave guam and then you just you're out there and you can't ever really reconnect but what technology gives us is that it gives us the possibility where we can not only reconnect we can also organize and we can create using that technology whenever somebody says that uh you know our culture is dying because of facebook our language is dying because of youtube i always say it's only like that because we haven't used it to empower ourselves and the moment we start to use facebook to lift ourselves up you know that's when we'll see the the you know the real power in our people and so um this is a very general answer there's more specific sort of things but i wanted did you have any did you have any other specific questions in that uh not uh not in regards to like what we can do but i had a i had a different kind of question oh sigi sigi uh um what um uh like i i remember growing up and there was a vote for self determination and uh i guess not much has come from that mhm what actually is the next step like if we we want to go down this route like what is does the island have to vote for for a next step or like what happens like what are the next like one or two steps towards towards independence well so for me i prefer independence but part of the process though is that you have to ideally you have to do a public education campaign and then you have to have a plebiscite and the plebiscite will have three different options statehood free association and independence and one of the issues that is sometimes debated and there was a a lawsuit about it for several years is should the plebiscite be open to everybody who can vote on guam or should the plebiscite only be open to those who are have chamorro ancestry or those who are chamorro uh, ethnically or legally and that was an issue uh which came up and it 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 really delayed this process for several years is the federal court case about it mm-hmm. but but that's one of the first steps is that you need to educate you need to sort of let people know what the options are so is it that you want to move towards becoming a full part of the united states is it that you want more autonomy it doesn't mean you leave the united states forever but it means that you are more of an ally of the united states as opposed to uh something within it or do you want to freely associate with the united states like we see our imanet lutegirizata our friends and neighbors in micronesia where they have autonomy but also a close relationship to the united states too because they're freely associated with it and so that's the first step is educating and then having a vote like that because once you have a vote like that then you can take it to the us federal government like they did as you were mentioning with commonwealth in the past you can take it to the us government and you can say okay so we've had a vote and and the people have spoken we are ready to start negotiating and getting to a new status and what we saw previously is that it's it's hard the federal government of the united yeah. states doesn't necessarily care too much about these issues they don't really care about they like their territories the way they are now they don't necessarily want to have a to deal with changing them so that's why once we have a direction on kind of which way we want to go 
then it's up to us to really push the issue um, so they can't necessarily ignore us uh, uh, in terms of getting us to a status that makes sense in today's world because you know there's there's almost no more formal colonies in the world but Guam is one of them and when you think about how 80 or 90 other countries have moved towards becoming independent some of them are the richest countries in the world and Guam is still stuck as being a territory of the United States I appreciated your question and so Make sure I think I have your address, and so I'm, I'll be sure to send you some T-shirts. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. So we've got the phone lines open for you. Four seven seven one hundred point three is still the number to get in. Uh, if you have any questions about the decolonization conversation, we'll be right here with you. No problem. Thank you to Michael Luhan Bavakwa, and to everybody who's come in the past two weeks, three weeks. Uh, during this independent Guahan takeover here on Hit Radio 100, it's been a fantastic conversation, getting to know and learn. You know, I'm I'm usually just here to run the board, but I'm <laughs> learning a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I was not, uh, it's not that I wasn't expecting it, it's just more so I was, I, I think I was underprepared. I will say that. I was not as prepared, much like my uh, Lawrence said, much like our, many of the guests who came in here and saying, you know, hey, I only learned about... Uh, the colonization of Guam before I left the States or, you know, graduated from high school. Mm. Same for me. I just learned that not a year ago, not two years ago. I mean, when you guys were starting things up, I, that's when it became apparent. I was like, wow, that's something that's happening. That is something that needs to be talked about. And then, and I'm excited to be here and no, talk about this no, stuff. Thank you for your help. Thank yeah. you for your help. And so we have questions here. Uh, it's actually from our mobile app. And if you have any questions as well, you can either message us on our absolutely free app on Hit Radio 100 Guam. Excuse me. Hit Radio 100 Guam uh, on the Google Play Store and Apple Store. You can just download it for free. And there is a message center. Uh, and I do have a couple of questions here uh, for you, Michael. Uh, I've got uh, one here that says, uh, this question is for Dr. Bavakwa. Very official. Uh, this is coming in uh, as how can the diaspora help support decolonization? Mm. Okay, so this is similar to the question similar, we got Similar earlier. to the other one. Yeah. And so, Sidus Masi, for that question. And so the first step is, I mean, for me, the first step is, is, is asking that question. And I appreciate everyone who asks that question. But everybody, so one of the things is that just how can you connect to home and how can you build on that connection, right? So how is it that we can do, how is it that we can overcome the distances? How is it that we can stop seeing it that the the diaspora's over there and then people are over here, but instead form meaningful networks and connections that we can empower overall, right? Because there's things that there's skills, there's talents, there's resources that people here have. There's skills, there's talents that people over there have. So the more chances that we can work together and that we can learn from each other, the better. But so and and I appreciate and so one of the things that you can definitely do as your first step is to just learn learn the history learn the history and then and then sort of learn your culture learn your history learn your language and then and then move forward sort of from that point so don't don't just do whatever I say or whatever somebody else says but learn a little bit more and then kind of take your next steps and then figure out what you want to do um because decolonization is not just about political status. When people ask me, what does decolonization mean? 
I say there's lots of different definitions of decolonization. Um, but w a general sort of definition that I use for people is that it is a conversation about what to do about colonial legacies, which is when you look at something in your life or how you have been impacted by something, you talk about it, you learn about it, but then you feel empowered to take the next step. You don't let yourself be chained down or held back by what has happened or what has persisted since. And so uh, speaking to about Benny earlier, who is, who is uh, helping me with my online Chamorro classes that I offer in the community, you know, um, one of the things there is colonization gave you a certain hand. Colonization worked against your language. Colonization punished your parents or your grandparents for speaking their language. And as a result, you probably don't speak Chamorro. But decolonization means then that you look at that, you understand that, and then you realize that if I wanted to speak my language again, I could. What do I need to do and what do we need to change to make the language alive again? And you can look at that in everything. Even, even the feeling that sort of Chamorros in the States are fundamentally different from Chamorros in Guam or people who leave Guam and they're fundamentally different, even that has colonial roots too. That idea that if you leave, you can't go back. Or if you leave, you're, you're a different type of species. No. Think about that. Why do we believe that? Why do we feel that? Is it holding us back? How do we get past that to move ahead? And so that's why I always tell people decolonization doesn't have to be scary. It's an essential thing, actually, because when we look at our, our, the way we live here on Guam today, for example, you know, you look at something like the school system. Well, the school system was brought into the island of Guam, and over the years we make little changes here or there. But decolonizing the school system is essential because it's a school system that was not made to fit the lives and the needs of the people here. It was just brought here. So when we talk about why the school system has problems, we rarely ever consider that, well, this school system isn't supposed to work here. We have an entire education system which comes out of the, the industrial period of the United States. It was, about, it was a school system which is designed to take people who come from farms and come into the cities and sort of convert them into menial labor. School, is, school in that sense is about separating kids from their parents and keeping them in, like babysitting them for a while and giving them basic skills so eventually when their parents stop working in the factories, the kids can go take their place. So when we wonder why does that school system, why is there that, that there's all these problems? Well, the school system isn't meant to empower people who come from islands in the Pacific. It isn't meant to empower us and make us believe in ourselves. It's kind of meant to separate us from what we, from what we know. And so... so this is decolonization. It doesn't have to be scary, but it's this essential conversation about what has happened in the past. Where are we now? What do we want to change to make sure that the service, that the social systems in our lives, the political systems, that they support us, that they empower us, and they stop empowering somebody else? That's uh, that's really powerful. I really, I really. That spoke to me in a spirit, almost a spiritual level. Uh, thank you. Because I never thought about that. Education, that's really important. Yeah, this system is not created for Guam. It's not created for our island. It's just created to be exactly as you explained. And that's so important to, well, the kids. I mean, 
who better our future to learn about our island, to learn about how they, as a Chamorro, as someone part of this island, mm-hmm. right here, their island, uh, is going to be taught something about George Washington. You know, it's 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 something that, sure, they should learn it, but it's mm-hmm. not something that's going to empower them later on in life. It's true. Um, one thing that um, sort of former Congressman Robert Underwood, that he would always say, is that education is usually, and at its best, it goes from the familiar to the unfamiliar. Mm. So when you're teaching children, you start with the things that they know, and then you move to the things they don't. So when you're giving them examples of things, you use examples that they see around themselves on the island. And then from there, you move to things that they don't know. But on Guam, because of how backwards our education system is a lot of times, you start with what they don't see around them, and then later on you allow them to be taught the things that are around them. And that just, it wastes time, it causes a lot of curriculum problems, and it causes issues of identity, not just for Chamorros, but for everybody on Guam, where there's always this feeling that whatever you have been taught to look for, it's not here. Right. And that because it it must be somewhere else, because education taught you to look elsewhere and then look back here, as opposed to grounding your learning here and then expanding out into the world. So even something simple like that, our educational assumptions are built on that. And and that's something you got to change, is that don't, don't teach your kids about oak trees and fir trees <laughs> and sequoias and redwoods. Teach them first about coconut trees, breadfruit trees, and then teach them about trees other places. But we do the other way around. Right. It's That's Im- important because that also can just lead into so many other things. You know, you learn about how your island, your environment, your, your ed- not just education, but just everything around you uh, supports your island itself. I mean, you, you can't learn about fishing. Uh, you can't learn about a blue marlin and then not know about it because you've never seen it here on Guam. It's the same idea. Very true. Yeah. And uh, we've got another caller on the line right now. And uh, Hit Radio 100, you're tuned in to the independent Guahan takeover with Michael Luhambavak. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Buenas to you. This is uh, Derek Highpower. Hey, buenas, Derek. You have to know Facebook, huh? Hungan, Hungan. post, Zambi. You know, I just had a question about a UOG Press and uh, the social studies textbook that they're working on right now, and you just answered that question for me. Uh, oh, Biba. <laughs> yeah, about the, the effect that this could have on our people, you know, our future generations, and, you know, and decolonization as well. But I do have another question that I can ask you, Senor. Okay, okay. Again, yes, my question is... um. You know, regarding our leaders and what they can do right now to further the issue of decolonization. You know, now that the Supreme Court of the United States has decided not to hear our case, you know, I see many um, in the public pushing for it and educating about it, groups like Independent Guahan and the Fanogi Coalition. But, you know, I, I, I want our elected officials to help take the lead, senor, you know, because mm. I feel like, you know, in my heart, that if the MAGA hogger tells me to jump the fence, many of us just might do it. So, you know, maybe we don't have to get that drastic, but what, what can our leaders do right now to, to rally the people, you know, to rally themselves, to push this issue further, senor? So, I think one of the... Hey, Derek, go for Um I think, so, this is a problem 
that we that we face just in general. There is this idea, and it's and it's pretty pervasive. Although we're slowly sort of getting attack, we're tackling it in different ways. There is this idea that decolonization or political status is not an important issue; that it's something that just only a few people care about. But that's the problem: is that, um, as somebody once said, talking about um, talking about trying to improve our lives on this island without thinking about colonization or decolonization is like trying to run a hospital without talking about sickness with not talking about sickness or cures and that's the that's the simple fact so we have we have adopted sort of a way of talking about our ourself and our existence here in which we marginalize those things but i can tell you this decolonization our political status affects everything it affects everything. And even if you don't know about it, it affects the cost of every single thing you buy. If you don't know about the Jones Act, you're not doing yourself any favors. And if you think that sort of the Jones Act will get solved because we ignore our political status, no. The Jones Act is something which inflates the prices of everything on this island. And it inflates the prices of those who care about this issue and those who think it's not important. And so everything is impacted people often talk about how could we create new industries on this island and you know what's happened historically is that by being a a, a territory when they have tried to create new industries they oftentimes get shut down or they find that there's all these extra federal regulations which we just can't deal with or in some instances in order to start a particular industry, you have to get the federal government to regulate it, but they refuse to come to Guam to allow that industry to start. There's all of these different issues in which everything that we buy, everything that we do, it affects, and it affects what we can do in the future, too. And so, and the way we think about ourselves oh, affects that deeply. Oh, Hungan, I mean... One thing that we have to, one thing that we got to understand is this, is that we are used to feeling, I mean, the late uh, Governor Ricky Berdalio, you know, he always used to say, when people would say, you're going to D.C. again to beg for money, he would always go and he he would say that he goes to D.C. to collect, not to beg. And we need to adopt more of that sort of mindset in how we see ourselves. We may think that, for example, we got, that we right now got a billion dollars from the federal government for pandemic assistance. That's good. We are their territory. They should take care of us. We shouldn't sort of feel that this is manna from heaven and this is sort of like some divine intervention. As long as we are their territory, they are obligated to help us. But we should also know that for what they get out of one third of the bases on the island and not paying a cent for those bases... Okay. That's a steal. You know, the, okay. Department of the, the Department of Defense loves Guam because, and the State Department loves Guam because you have, in other countries, you got to pay billions of dollars for bases like that. In other countries, you, there's all of this you got to go through to negotiate and to get sweet military deals like that. In Guam, all you have to do is let it so that they get a fraction of food stamps, they get a fraction of health care, they get a fraction of money from the interior, they get a fraction of money from, from education, a small pittance, but just open it up and give it to them and the people there thank you. Mm. When in truth, if you compare to what other countries get, Guam doesn't get what it deserves for giving up one-third of its island. So 
This is what this is why when you're talking about leaders, you know, it's really easy. It's really easy for people to just go with the flow. It's really easy for your average leader to just sort of put a put a, an American flag and a Guam flag right on their on their campaign signs and that's the end of the discussion. But political status is one of the ways that you can identify somebody who is a real leader, somebody who has a real vision for the future. Because somebody who's got somebody who really strongly believes in this place and what it can do, they're not going to let us stay a territory. Because who wants to tell their kids that we are a footnote in a world full of nations? Who wants to tell their kids when you look at the American flag, oh, yeah, we are a footnote perhaps on the tag of the flag, but none of those stars belong to us. Who wants to go to the United Nations and look at almost 200 flags that are gathered there and say, oh, yeah, um, we don't have a flag there either. We don't count. We don't. We aren't included in this world because we're a territory and we're held back. And so when you're looking for leaders, look for those who have that vision that we can do better than simply being a footnote of America, that we can stand beside them as allies or that we could join them as a full member. But that, for me, is the test, is that people will pander, people will say whatever they want, but a real leader can tell you that we can do better and we can join this world. We don't have to sit on the sidelines anymore. I'll get your address from you. I'll get I, your address. I'll, I'll, so, I'll so, offer Carter my shirt. You know. Okay. <laughs> He's pretty inspiring too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Esther. And okay, we've got another caller on the line right now. Again, 477-100.3 is the number to get in on all of this. This is happening. We've got about 13 minutes left. And again, we can still answer all of your questions if you have something you want to ask. Call us right now. We've got one more caller online. Hit Radio 100, you're listening to the Independent Guahan Takeover. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, how's it going? I wanted to ask about our current situation and what are some of the lessons that we are learning about exactly what you were talking about, mm-hmm. our, our, role, our role in the world and how we're perceived, um, especially during this global pandemic. Uh, what mm-hmm. are the ways in which um, it's revealed to us the reality of our situation? What are the ways in which um, our our political status and our role as an unincorporated territory have hindered our ability to care for our people. Mm. Um, but also, um, more largely, um, what can we learn from those around us who are independent in terms of what we can look forward to um, in, in moving forward? Sidus Masi. No, that's a great question. Sidus Masi. Um, and so, I think um, one of the ways that we... So, looking back, our, our parents, our grandparents may have seen that being a territory of the United States was a good position to be in. They may have thought that the United States is the greatest, richest country in the world, most powerful country in the world. And so if you're attached to them, you benefit. Now, what we see in this pandemic, though, is that Guam is, you have the American ship of state that's heading on these troubled, difficult seas. And Guam is like a boat that's hitched to the back of it. And whichever way America goes... Guam is dragged along with it. What we see from, our, from other places, though, is that if you are your own ship, if you're independent, then you can change course. You can ride alongside the United States, work with them for a while, 
But if you see that the United States is going in a direction you don't want to go, you have that ability to move away, go join other ships, work with others. But Guam doesn't have that. And we saw that in the pandemic. We saw that the people here on Guam, we were when in the early days of lockdown, we saw other countries in the Pacific closing their borders, shutting down their airports, cutting off flights to protect themselves. And people here got angry at the governor because she didn't do it. But we're a territory. You can't really do that because you don't control your borders as a territory or a state. And so we were, people were angry at the local government. The local government has nothing to do with that. And if you don't like that, then you probably want independence. Because if you worry that our borders are something that are important and that Guam should be able to decide who comes in and who goes out, you want independence. You don't want to stay a territory. We also saw that people were upset that we weren't preparing for this and we weren't doing this. Well, we're a territory. As you're a part of the United States and states and territories were waiting for the federal response because the federal government is supposed to lead the response. But what we saw is that while Guam was waiting for testing and Guam was waiting oftentimes pointlessly for this federal infrastructure and response to be set up, we saw other countries around us in the Pacific already working with other countries to get the tests that they needed, already working with them for aid packages to help them, to help keep their economy afloat. And what we saw in the case of Palau, for example, is that Palau, also, Palau as a freely associated independent country, got money from other countries and aid from other countries as well as from the United States. And so we're dragged along. And if America had dealt perfectly with the pandemic and did, it, and did everything that Donald Trump claims he did and everything is great and wonderful, yeah, we would probably be fine. But what we saw is that because America, because especially the federal government didn't know how to deal with this, couldn't figure it out, we saw that we struggled too and states struggled because we are attached to this. And whereas others could look to other countries to try to make up the slack, we were stuck. We were stuck. We couldn't basically reach out to Taiwan and say, Taiwan, you seem to have figured this out. Can we make a deal? We couldn't go to New Zealand and say, New Zealand, this is amazing. I used to only know that Lord of the Rings was filmed here, but you figured out the pandemic for a couple months too. How can you do this? Let's, let's work together. As a territory, you don't get to do that. And this is part of the frustration that a lot of um, government officials have found is that we may get tourists from Japan or South Korea every year. We don't get them because we have a relationship with those countries. We get them because they have a relationship to the United States. So we don't get to decide how many come. We don't get to say no to them. Other countries around us, they get to do that. And so the pandemic shows us that, sure, being a territory of the United States, you get benefits, absolutely. But it also reminds us that when things are tough, when things are tight, when there's an emergency, it reveals that you don't control the basic things. And as, a, and as a territory, as a community, you want to be able to control your economy. You want to be able to shut it down, to revive it when you want. You want to be able to determine who can come in, who can leave. And most importantly, you want to be able to determine who your friends are and who you want to work with. But as this yeah. has, but yeah, but as we've seen, you don't have that ability. 
We don't. We yeah, just, it almost seems like there's two sets of rules. You know, our local government has, you know, rules in place to try to protect us seeing what's happening. Um, and then, you know, the military just doesn't follow it. Like the case of, you know, the governor wanting to halt construction and construction continued on base. Um, or, you know, we're not able, we're not welcoming tourists into the islands to protect our people from the threat of COVID. But the military is bringing in shiploads of, you know, sailors mm-hmm. as a safe haven. And the island doesn't get to say, okay, we didn't even want that, but you're doing that and we don't even get to benefit from that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how is that contributing to the economy? Um, and, you know, the other day the Admiral was on the radio talking about how many ships have, have come in for what they're calling these safe havens, which is really to, as they had written in an article to enjoy the beach and eat hamburgers after being at sea for a hundred days and so the island is ultimately still welcoming tourists in that way but we don't benefit from it at all and we have no say in what that looks like which is really troubling. No it's true and that's why you want to push for a higher level of sovereignty you want to push for that so that if you know because this is what we saw we didn't see the United States you know bringing in their ships to other you know they didn't they weren't putting them in in marriott hotels around the united states if they had similar issues but on guam it's this issue and the the true the way that you can tell if you are a real partner in something like this is if you can say no if you and if you can't say no then you're not a real partner and the question is should you pretend that you're a partner in it just to make it easier to accept or should you try to change it should you push to have a say in that as opposed to just sort of wishing that you did. And so, Sidus Masi Victoria, for your question, that's... Hangumas. Uh, just really fast, and then I'll move it to the next person. The last thing I wanted to say before hanging out is if you could speak a little bit to um, people who are saying that during these times we should defund decolonization, that it's not important and it's a waste of government money. What's your response to oh. that? Oh, yes, I have seen those calls, and... I always want to remind people of history. So if you think a lot of the improvements that have been made in terms of our relationship to the federal government have come because there was agencies such as the Commission on Self-Determination in the past who were pushing, not just push, who were pushing that Guam and the federal government that they negotiate and that they work on their relationship. And so and so, one of the reasons why you should you have to keep the decolonization commission in place is because even if things are tough it doesn't mean that the political status goes away it doesn't mean that you stop being a territory just because things are tough and in fact at a moment like this we have to remember remember we have to remember our place and our relationship to the united states and we have to think about it and we have to think that even if things are tough right now what happens next and the Commission on Decolonization is essential in helping guide us there. And a fully funded, fully supported commission can be uh, an essential part of any negotiations over these issues. What we've seen in different administrations, however, recently, is that the commission doesn't play that role. In, in, it doesn't play that role. But what I have encouraged the current administration and the previous administration, though, is that if you make political status at the center of everything you do, the federal government responds to it because they realize that we're not just talking about this, but on the horizon is that you also want a better deal and that you're pushing towards that. 
So, for example, what they did under Joseph Ada and the past Governor Ada was that on all of the letterhead for all the government agencies, they would put Commonwealth Now so that every time a federal government official got a letter or any paper from government of Guam, they were also reminded that Guam is pushing for Commonwealth Now. And any time you met with federal officials, you, you had to also bring into the conversation something about political status to remind them that this is an issue they need to fix and they need to work with Guam to fix it. And so, Esidus Masi, did, did, is Victoria still there or did she go? Uh, yes, she should be here. Okay. Esidus Masi. And so, oh, I see we're almost out of time. Oh, yes. We are almost out of time. Is there, are there any more calls or... Okay. I'm online. Oh, oh, here. There's somebody here. Oh, hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I've been waiting. Oh, dispenser. Oh, dispenser. Miguel, Oh, wait. How's yesterday? Si Liana Hoffschneider. Hey, hey. Hungan. Dispenser sa kulang na atasawdu sa gagi pagu pagu na dia i international coastal cleanup ni. Za in Nagoska si Zi Singsung Gingan Point giza sa Ipan. I gata ancient tomorrow settlement site ni. Idi kay utimu na baru gaw ni. No, zanu magunjuna no denancio no denancio na importante na kada conversation kada reminder ko importante para tanahasu i Amerikano zan Estados Unidos no ofa no dinisihota ni tototono ni no importante very important to constantly remind them it's a so called active subliminal message. I wish I had uh, uh, listened uh, much earlier, but uh, I appreciate uh, this uh, very uh, short time, a uh, few minutes. I was just listening to the conclusion of this, but uh, hopefully I'll go in online and listen to some of the portions. ノーマルエスファンノーイファニーロニジディコロナイゼーションティシャツアンプレイホンゲンシャンプレイソシニョラナシゴロナイナオンナインズナイニアドレスモナイザシャンプレイトトロエスゴモオッケーエスパザシャ
And in fact, part of it is because we are set against each other, because of our different political statuses and because of our histories. But one thing that I like about this push for decolonization is that we have the chance to also say that we want to connect and reconnect and unify with some of these islands, that we don't want to just work together here or there, but we want to claim this part of the Pacific, that this is our blue continent. This Micronesia is a huge chunk of the world. If you take all of Micronesia and the, and the oceans, that, and the ocean that, that we occupy, it's, it's about a half or two-thirds of the United States. And that if we start to see ourselves together as larger, as more, we could become a force. We're so used to seeing ourselves as small, but this is part of decolonization, is that if you have been taught that you are tiny and you are small and you have nothing, then you will look to the future as feeling that you need somebody to give you things, somebody to take care of you, that you always need to bring somebody in to give you answers for your problems. But we need to decolonize that. And part of that means that we need to look at those that we have been set against as being our friends, connected to them in history and in the future. And so, Sidzus Masi, to those of you who turned in today, I know we got some more questions there. And so for those of you that submitted questions on the app, I'll get in touch with you because I'll also get you a, a fr- you'll also get t-shirts as well. But thank you for all your time. Sidzus Masi Ta'lu. Inanusi Michael Luhan Bavakwa. I am Michael Luhan Bavakwa. This has been the third episode of the Decolonization Conversation where Independent Guahan takes over Hit Radio 100 for an hour every Saturday afternoon. And... Next Saturday is our last conversation for the month of September. Lawrence Lazama will be back in the studio, and his focus for next week's episode will be on music and decolonization. So hopefully he's going to bring in some artists and some music who can talk about how we can use music and art to sort of to expand our consciousness and sort of uh, think about, you know, a, a decolonized future for ourselves. And so Carter, take it away. Thank you so much, Michael. I I absolutely appreciate this episode because, one, I've already been learning throughout (laughs) this whole process. And today's episode just made it even more apparent, you know, hey, this is what's going on. And now I'm looking forward uh, to next week's episode because, one, it's our specialty, music. (laughs) So, including art, it's it's all going to be a real fun time. So, again, 4 o'clock, stay tuned on Saturday. Uh, Independent Guahan will be in here one more time uh, through this month of September. And it's, again, a real good conversation that you should be part of. Thank you, Michael Luhambavakwa. Thank you, Independent Guahan. We are KOKUFM in Hagunya, Guam, a division of Moy Communications. Hit Radio 100.